On this episode of Liberty Curious, I sat down with Thomas Hogan, senior research faculty at AIER, to discuss the now infamous Sam Bankman-Fried FTX debacle and downfall, how it came to pass, and what it means for crypto regulation moving forward. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, and also check out our new YouTube channel here. And joining me now is Sam Bankman-Fried. He's the CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. You may have seen their TV ads occasionally. And one of America's youngest billionaires. And recently he's used that money to become one of the biggest donors in this year's midterm elections. Sam, nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Of course. So let me start. You're the fourth. You may not know this, but you know it now. You're the fourth largest individual donor, essentially, to the midterms for this cycle. You are on a list that includes George Soros, Ken Griffin, Richard Uline, Peter Teal, just below you. Why did you decide it was politics and not something more charitable to throw, spend your money on? So we have FTX, which is this high profile player in the crypto world. Uh, this has come crashing down. It's a huge story. It's like a soap opera. So what is going on there, Thomas Hogan, in your opinion? Yeah, that's right. The FTX exchange uh, crashed last week. It was one of the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges. And so a huge event uh, in the cryptocurrency industry, uh, one of several major companies that has collapsed this year and caused major turmoil within the cryptocurrency industry. Uh, but my big take on it is that I think people outside of the cryptocurrency industry are viewing it a lot differently than ins insiders. Insiders don't seem to think that this is a big deal. And actually, a lot of them are saying this gives them even more faith in the industry as a whole, whereas outsiders are viewing this as something that is an inherent problem with cryptocurrencies and saying that the, the things that they've always worried about turned out to be true and that the cryptocurrencies are all worthless um, and also is going to cause a major push for more regulation. And so in that sense, I think because people are afraid of it and don't really understand uh, what's happening from the inside, I think that's going to cause potential problems in terms of more regulation less faith in the industry from from uh, regular people. And uh, so talking about outsiders, so you mean regular people then, but do you also mean outsiders as in, you know, people who are high up in politics, in banks, the elites? Are you speaking about them as outsiders as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, people that are heavily involved in crypto and have been trading it, and especially people that own cryptocurrency in their own private wallets rather than on exchanges, uh, have a better idea about how the system works. When people are, are holding their own currency rather than having it stored at a big exchange, which is like storing it in a big bank rather than storing it in your home or you know having cash in your wallet, right? And so people that are doing it themselves have a much better and different understanding of how the cryptocurrency system works, and they understand how to protect themselves. They understand how decentralized exchanges and decentralized protocols um, are valuable and how they can use those things so that they're not subject to these kind of failures. Um, any kind of currency that is on a decentralized exchange or on a decentralized system is going to be protected from failures like this that are happening at big centralized exchanges and centralized companies. And so this is the thing, if, if, for people that are in crypto, this is the thing that they've been against, is that we need to not be like the banks. We need to not be like the traditional financial companies, because those big companies, they take risk, they fail, whereas 
the decentralized protocols and the decentralized exchanges, you can track every transaction, you can see everything that's happening with your currency, and you can protect yourself against these kind of collapses. And so for people that I, that I would think are insiders or people that are holding their cryptocurrencies in their own private wallets, they understand how to protect themselves and the value of that. And they see this as sort of a, a problem of the traditional financial system, whereas people that are not holding their, their own cryptocurrency that, that either aren't participants in the industry or hold all their money on centralized exchanges, they see the cryptocurrency, they see FTX as being part of crypto, whereas crypto people see it as being part of traditional finance. And so that's a big dichotomy, a very big difference between the way people are viewing this. And so like you said, I think, you know, a lot of people that don't own cryptocurrency or, or aren't major participants and don't have their own wallets or people that are um, politicians and are having to decide about what the SEC policy should should be, you know, they have a bit, very different uh, understanding, a very different view of what's happening right now, because they don't, most of them, I would think, don't really understand the benefit of having your own wallet, the benefit of having a decentralized exchange where you can protect yourself from this kind of risk. Yeah. Or maybe they do understand the benefit of it, but they're just against it for their own personal reasons. Right, right. So, you know, it's possible that uh, there are definitely some politicians that just want to be able to monitor everything that's going on in the exchange. They want to be able to uh, prevent people from using their money in certain ways. And so, yeah, the, there, there's a small group of, of people and politicians, I think, that basically just want to control what everyone is doing. Um, and that's true whether we have crypto or not. That's true that people want the Federal Reserve to uh, be tracking everyone. Um, and so definitely some people are going to take that case because that's their case regardless of what's happening with crypto. Yeah. Um, but if we think about, you know, if we think about FTX, if you want to talk about like FTX as a business and, and why it failed, we can see like why that's different than decentralized exchanges. Yeah, I would love to hear what you think about that, because, you know, I was doing some research on this and the whole story is still unfolding, of course, um, in a very dramatic fashion. But, you know, it seems that it was very complex. There was money laundering and funneling going on. Um, there was money being donated to politicians. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that were happening there. So, yeah, can you get into it a little bit? Right. So, so FTX was one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. And they were based out of the Palmas, but they had a U.S. subsidiary, FTX U.S. And so for, mo for most Americans, they were not dealing with uh, the parent company, FTX, directly. They were dealing with the U.S.-based FTX U.S. And so, you know, they thought that, well, their money was protected and that exchange was regulated. FTX was advertising itself as the world's largest regulated exchange and the safest place to store your crypto assets. And so, you know, the, the people believed that they were putting their money somewhere safe. But the problem was, because of the strictness of U.S. regulations, FTX was doing most of its activity not in FTX US, but with its offshore parent company, FTX, based out of the Bahamas. And so that's where most of the exchange was uh, taking place. There was regular cryptocurrency exchange, but also a lot of derivatives and other types of uh, financial activity going on on these exchanges. And so, you know, FTX, the parent company, was where all the risk was happening. And of course, when that company failed, then FTX US uh, launched lost a lot of its value and, and then put American um, 
you know, depositors' uh, money at risk as well. And so, you know, people had this idea that the regulators were protecting them, but really the regulators were just pushing the risk somewhere else where it couldn't really be monitored, and Americans were basically still at risk just in a different way. Um, and so FTX, the parent company, was doing some things that it, it should not have done and maybe wouldn't have been able to done, have, have done if we had you know, reasonable regulations and that activity had been mostly here at the, in the United States. Hmm, that's a really good point, actually, and I haven't heard that anywhere else, but that is a very, very important point, um, because, again, that's going to be the argument against crypto, right? Especially that they've branded themselves as being the safest exchange, uh, and then you see this thing fall through. And another interesting thing that I found was there's allegations that Sam Bankman-Fried was also connected to the Luna collapse somehow, and that was another collapse that happened that, you know, made the argument against crypto. So once again, this person seems to be kind of tied up uh, in, these, in, in these things falling apart. Yeah, so this is sort of part of a chain of events that's happened this year in the cryptocurrency industry. So Terra Luna was a, a stable coin um, that was supposed to be a soft peg to the U.S. dollar. And so the, the value of their token was supposed to be basically the same as a dollar. But they didn't try to achieve that by redeeming dollars like most of the stable coins do. Uh, what they did instead was they, they had an algorithm that they uh, had a second token that they thought would be arbitraged against their regular token and keep it close to a dollar. And people realized that the the method that they were trying to use did not make any sense. And so some people were able to exploit that and basically push the uh, value of that away from a dollar to the point where that whole stablecoin failed. And there were several other major companies that were holding uh, large amounts of it. And so then they became exposed and several of them failed. Um, and that actually is partly related. I, I, I don't know. Um, so, so FTX is, is mostly, was founded and mostly owned by uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, and so he's a, a crypto billionaire that started off early in the industry and, and built up several companies. And so FTX um, probably may have had some exposure to Terra Luna, but there was another company that was also largely owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, and that was um, Alameda Research. So one of his early companies was uh, basically a hedge fund called Alameda Research, and that company was not um, directly tied to FTX, but it was, it, it, it was loosely tied and was a major player on the FTX exchange. The hedge fund Alameda Research was a major market maker and a big part of FTX, um, but no, no direct legal ties. Um, but what happened was, because of some of the collapses, in, in, including Terra Luna, um, Alameda Research lost a lot of money. And being the main owner of both of these companies, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and, and some of their uh, some of the top uh, executives at, at uh, Alameda and FTX allegedly we believe this is true uh, used depositor funds from FTX and funneled them into Alameda Research to prevent it from collapsing. And so they illegally uh, defrauded their investors by using the money from FTX to prop up Alameda Research. And when people discovered that, 
that's what led to the collapse of FTX. Is that people realized that there was something very wrong with their uh, assets and some some missing money, and basically people were saying a hole on their balance sheet of several billion dollars. And once people found that out, everyone lost faith in the FTX exchange. The value of their token collapsed. People started withdrawing their money from the exchange, and pretty soon it became illiquid um, and had to file for bankruptcy. Wow, that's crazy. And I also saw um, there was something that happened where Sam Bankman-Fried, he had put out this tweet thread right before all of this happened. And he said, I'm sorry, guys, I really messed up. You know, I made some mistakes, <laughs> which was kind of right. a smart move because he was he was trying to uh, make his apology before everything went down, right? Because then you could say, oh, it was just a mistake. Um, but at the same time, what it looked like was happening was that there were all of these small amounts that were going out to thousands of different addresses uh, as it was collapsing and hundreds of millions were drained, you know, by a hack right. after declaring bankruptcy, yeah, so so there are many unusual dimensions to this story. Um, that is one of them. That after after FTX declared bankruptcy, there was supposedly a hack, which many people believe was actually a secret backdoor by uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. People call him SBF. So people believe that SBF uh, had a backdoor programmed into the uh, FTX exchange that allowed him to secretly take about five or six hundred million dollars off of the exchange after it was declared bankrupt. Um, there was also speculation that he had fled to Argentina, but the latest I've heard is that he appears to still be in the Bahamas. Um, but uh, uh, under the watch of the Bahamian authorities, because, you know, these are serious crimes. I mean, defrauding people out of hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars is very, very serious crime. I mean, this is one of one of the biggest financial crimes and one of the biggest crimes in the in the cryptocurrency industry that has ever happened. And so this is huge, and and you know people were losing their life savings. People that had nothing to do with all the risky activity that Alameda Research was doing, or the derivatives trading that was in FTX. People that just had regular deposits, some of them lost lost their life savings, and. So this was just a disaster for people that really believed in cryptocurrency and, and believed in SBF. Yeah. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried as a person was claiming that he was uh, an altruist and that he was going to give away his entire fortune and that he was there to help defend the cryptocurrency industry and, and be sort of the white knight and showing what a great safe industry it was. All the while uh, defrauding all of his depositors that he had, you know, promised that he would defend, and so it's it's you know really a, a terrible story. Um, again, not of something terrible happening in the cryptocurrency industry, but of a of a regular financial company defrauding investors, and um, you know it's something that people in crypto are, are trying to get away from. Yeah. So you know it's a, a really strange and and. Uh, sad story that that has been happening here. It's very strange, the whole situation, and we'll see more as it unfolds. Um, but, you know, he had donated funds to politicians. He had donated to the Democrat Party uh, to $30 million or so and had pledged a billion dollars, I read. And so, you know, there's it, it looks like that kind of old school idea that you get some kind of political protection while you're doing these things that, to me, what looks like a Ponzi scheme, right? Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, so ironically, uh, about 
two weeks ago, um, SBF was was part of a debate about the merits of the cryptocurrency regulation that was uh, aired on the the podcast Bankless. Uh, he and I, I believe the uh, person he was talking with was Eric Voorhees, and they were debating the merits of regulation. and And Sam Bankman-Fried was in favor of more regulation of the cryptocurrency industry. And part of his um, claim was that, well, look, we, we, we need to be able to maintain decentralization and the, the core of cryptocurrency is important, but, you know, we need all these regulations in order to protect people. And it's the same kind of thing that a lot of the regulators say. They say, oh, well, you, we, markets are so important, but we need a lot of regulations in order to make them work properly. And basically, most of the evidence says that that's not true. But Bankman Freed was, you know, defending greater regulation in the cryptocurrency industry. And people were speculating at that time. Time, uh, that part of his going to D.C. and meeting with the regulators and especially particular meetings with Gary Gensler of the SEC who wants to regulate the cryptocurrency industry more and wants the SEC to take a very strong role in that, uh, people had speculated that, well, actually, he's got a personal motive here that he's trying to build up barriers to protect FTX, to protect his own interests. And that's something that we see all the time is regulatory capture. And it's very normal in the finance industry and, and in other industries as well. For one of the major players to encourage more regulation of the industry because then it protects them against competition from smaller players. You know, the big companies and the big banks in the financial industry, they have teams of lawyers. They're paying millions of dollars already for regulatory compliance. So it's easy for them when there are more and more regulations to deal with those regulations. Yeah. Whereas small companies and small banks, they have a very hard time dealing with all those regulations. They have a very hard time competing and they have a very uh, hard time starting new banks and new companies and having more innovation in those industries. And so we see this kind of regular regulatory capture. This is a normal thing that happens in a lot of industries. And we shouldn't expect that people that are in the industry calling for more regulation, we shouldn't necessarily believe that their motives are pure yeah. because they're clearly going to benefit from that, possibly at the expense of consumers and other players in the industry. And so, yeah, that's something that had happened just like a week before all of this collapse was that he was in this debate. Um, and a lot of people said, actually, you know, Voorhees really got the better of SBF in this and kind of exposed how SBF's, you know, motives were not really pure and his logic really didn't make a lot of sense once he kind of tried to pin him down on it. Um, and then it came, turned out the next week that we found out it was basically all a lie anyway and that he was defrauding his investors and doing this illegal stuff that, you know, wouldn't have mattered what the regulations were. Fraud is clearly illegal, whatever the particular financial regulations. And so, you know, just a very strange week where um, a person and a company that were thought to be well-respected and claimed they were doing things for the cryptocurrency industry uh, turned out to be doing exactly the opposite. So I just want to clarify something about crypto exchanges. Um, so a crypto exchange basically means that you put your money there and it's supposed to stay there. Like it's supposed to sit there as if it's your bank account, right? Like it's not supposed to be, you know, funneled out towards Alameda or any other kind of hedge fund to be traded. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about crypto exchanges, what they should look like? Yeah, that's right. So there's a big difference between centralized versus decentralized exchanges. 
And so centralized exchanges like FTX are very similar to what we would think of as like a stock exchange, like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. Um, those companies are there to help facilitate trades of certain types of, of financial products, be it stocks or futures or in this case, cryptocurrencies. And so people deposit money with the exchange and they use that to buy and sell cryptocurrencies or other types of assets. Again, FTX was also into derivatives and other types of um, more sophisticated financial products, not just regular cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and so, uh, so yeah, it, you know, in most cases, it's supposed to be that your deposit is basically like a money that you put into your bank deposit. Um, but, you know, a lot of financial companies are using leverage and they're allowing people to trade on margin and, and giving people some amount of um, credit where, where they're not necessarily holding assets one for one, the same that you would have in a, say, safety deposit box. If you go to your bank, you have the choice between putting your money into a safety deposit box where you know for sure exactly where your dollars are, no one's going to touch them, and if you want to put other things besides dollars into your safety deposit box, you can. But if you want to put your, your money in there, you can put it in a deposit box and no one will touch it. If you put it in a regular savings or checking account, the bank's going to take some of that money and they're going to invest it. They're going to lend it out to people. They're going to um, put it into bonds or other types of securities. Um, and so they don't keep all of your money in, in the bank account, uh, sorry, within the bank, right? Some of it's being lent out and that's when the banks are taking risk. That's what can cause banks to fail is that sometimes the investments that they make don't always pay off, right? People might default on their loans. The, the investments that the bank makes might be too risky and, and turn out to fail. And so that's why banks can fail is that sometimes they lose money on their investments and they don't have enough money to pay back their depositors. And so, you know, any type of financial company can take that type of risk and that, that can happen on exchanges, especially ones, again, that, you know, aren't regulated. This one was not in the U.S. Um, the strict regulations in the U.S. pushed it to offshore in the Bahamas where it can you know, do a little bit more without people necessarily knowing about it. So those centralized exchanges, they're going to, they are supposed to store your money and they are supposed to um, be able to redeem it when you want to, um, but they may be a little bit more risky than a decentralized exchange. Now, a decentralized exchange in cryptocurrency is something that is built on blockchain technology. So a blockchain uh, tracks the trading of every single trade that's made on a cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and these other cryptocurrencies. There is no physical Bitcoin. There is no physical uh, Ethereum. Um, Ether is traded as a, as a token. And the way that we do it is we just, we track every single transaction when you send it to someone else and they send it to someone else. We just track all those trades so that we know who owns the money rather than anyone physically holding it. And so the advantage of that is that it's completely transparent. Every single transaction can be viewed by anyone. All you have to do is go on the internet and there are websites that will show you on the blockchain every single transaction that's happening. And wallets that are on the blockchain, you can see exactly how much money is in every wallet. And so if you build a financial system on the blockchain, 
it means you can see exactly how much money is in it. You can see every trade that's being done. And so that's what we have when we have decentralized exchanges like Uniswap, for example. Uniswap is an exchange that is built on the blockchain. And what they do is they have people deposit money into pools on the blockchain. And you can see exactly how much money is in that pool. And then you trade not with other people, but with the pool itself. And so you know that every trade that you're making, that's exactly where that money is. You know exactly how much money is in that pool. And so the pool can never default. And the exchange can never default um, because you can see every single dollar and every single trade that's being made. It's possible that it could be hacked, but you know banks can be hacked too. That happens all the time. Private companies are potentially even more likely to be hacked um, than a lot of the crypto exchanges because the code of the crypto exchanges is open sourced. It's vetted. And so again, you can see everything that's happening, not just the dollars and trades that are happening, but the code that's being used to create that exchange itself. And so people that are fans of cryptocurrency, they believe that this kind of transparency uh, makes, makes the exchange better because you know exactly what's being done with your dollars. And if you want to program uh, limits in, you can uh, prevent risk entirely um, by making sure that the exchange is 100% collateralized. And so from, again, from the from the perspective of people that are in the cryptocurrency industry, from the perspective of people that have their money on the blockchain rather than in a centralized exchange, those decentralized exchanges are much less risky than traditional financial companies like FTX and other uh, exchanges, whether they be regular uh, exchanges or crypto exchanges. What I'm getting from that too there is that FTX was not that, um, and so they were able to hide things, whereas a decentralized exchange, you can't hide anything. Here, you're able to hide things. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, Ponzi schemes, and I'll just call this a Ponzi scheme for lack of a better term, okay? And the prevalence of Ponzi schemes when you have easy money, when you have funny money, when you have a lot of money printing, like, is there a correlation with, with those things happening at, at once? So, you know, Ponzi schemes uh, tend to be like, I, I think the basic definition is when you have people that, that are depositing money into the fund and that new money is used to pay other people, right? And so there's, there's no actual investment. It's just taking money from one group of people and giving it to another group. And in order to do that, you have to have more and more people coming in um, as the scheme grows to, to pay out those funds. Um, and some people have accused uh, cryptocurrencies of, of being something like that. You know, I, I don't believe that, obviously. And the cryptocurrency industry is now um, not just the currency itself, but trillion-dollar industries that are built on top of cryptocurrency that are doing all kinds of things from the financial system to building the metaverse to all kinds of new social media platforms. And so all that stuff is you know, real activity that's happening on those exchanges. So that stuff is clearly not a Ponzi scheme. Um, but it, but you know, I think it is the case that uh, sometimes when you do have a new industry like this, people don't know about it and people do get kind of defrauded. And that is something that happens in crypto. I think people that don't really know very much about it and, and haven't taken the time to sort of understand the investments that they're making, right? Like they think that it's um, – it's going so great that they they can just put their money in anything and and get a positive return. And especially some people are telling them, hey, put your money in here and it's like a million percent that you're going to make, right? And make yeah. these outrageous promises. That's probably a scam. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, your point is that uh, so – when, when we have uh, a government that's enabling this kind of thing that is either 
allowing it to go on, not really regulating it. In the, in the case of FTX, they tried to regulate the exchanges too much and they pushed it you know, to an international exchange. Um, and so I think sometimes the government policies do tend to encourage those kind of activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I also saw Giselle and Tom Brady, they were involved in that, right? And they were kind of like holding up flags and there was a Super Bowl commercial and all kinds of things. So they really propped up FTX. Uh, and now it's just all falling down. So this kind of leads me to the next thing I wanted to ask you. As it falls down, um, in such a dramatic fashion, like I said at the beginning of this episode, like a soap opera style thing happening here, including those celebrities uh, who are who are now um, making noise there. Um, we, we see that the Biden administration and other people come in and say, well, we need more regulation. Like right away, there's this call to more regulation. So so that seems to be the outcome that 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 we're seeing here. So do you want to get into that? Like, why are we going to see more regulation? What do you think they will do? What do you think they can do? What do you think there will be calls for? Yeah, you know, I think most of the people that are calling for more regulation here were people that were already calling for more regulation. And they're just using this as a sort of excuse to say the same thing that they were saying before, even though it really doesn't change anything. And also, like I said, you know, this really wasn't a failure of the cryptocurrency industry. This is a failure of a traditional financial company. Um, and it wasn't even a failure of them making bad investments. It was a failure of them committing fraud, right? Fraud is illegal no matter what kind of regulations we have. And so having more regulations is not going to prevent this problem. In fact, you know, in my opinion, the transparency of the decentralized cryptocurrency industry is the solution to this problem, right? If we were having those cryptocurrency industries all be decentralized, or even for private companies that aren't totally decentralized, they can at least share um, it's easier to disclose the assets that they're holding. They can allow people to view the, uh, the assets that they have in their wallets and, and prove to anyone um, that they have those kind of uh, assets and that they're not uh, taking very much risk. And in fact, this is what banks used to do before we had a lot of regulation in the banking system. The banks used to tell everyone what their assets were, tell everyone how much cash that they had on hand so that people would trust them and know that they weren't ready to fail. Hmm. Um, and we don't have that anymore because the regulators are saying that they're going to protect us. And obviously, you know, they haven't done a very good job about that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm critical. I, I don't really believe that we're likely to get uh, very good regulations here. We have some people, even within the crypto industry, that are saying, this is a t time for us to get reasonable regulations. We'll, we'll have the regulators that, you know, they'll take the time to figure out what's good and what's not. And that is not how regulation works. Uh, unfortunately, regulators, basically, they almost never do any kind of detailed analysis to figure out what are good regulations and what are bad ones. They just, whatever they think is a good idea at the time, they just do it. They never do very much research. In fact, I, I have a paper that looks at um, about 30 of the, the biggest bank regulations over the last 40 years to see if they do any cost-benefit analysis. And the short answer is they don't. They basically never do any kind of cost-benefit analysis. In some cases, in about five of the 28 or 30 regulations that I looked at, they did claim, we think the benefits of this are going to exceed the costs. But if you go in and read the details, what they actually say is, well, there's, there's no 
quantitative evidence. We're just making qualitative judgments. In other words, we just feel like this is a good idea. Yes. We don't have any measure to say that the benefits are going to be greater than the cost because they say we just can't measure those things. And so we're, do we're doing something we just feel is going to be good. And anytime you're making, basing regulations for a multi-trillion dollar industry on someone's feelings, that's probably not a good idea, right? And so that's what they're doing already for the traditional financial system is that they're just making up these regulations. And so the idea that we're going to get well-informed or carefully researched regulations for the crypto industry, there's just no evidence for that. In fact, the way that they're rushing to regulate this industry, I think it's, it's quite the opposite, that we have some people that are adamant that the government should be strongly involved, maybe even more so than they are in the banking system. Um, and the evidence from the banking system is not good, right? They've not yeah. done a good job regulating the banking system. Um, you can think back to back to the early 2000s, the, the regulators were telling banks to buy more mortgage-backed securities. They were saying, those things are safe and diversified. You should hold lots of those. And that turned out to be a disaster. The banks held more mortgage-backed securities because the regulations encouraged them to do so. And that ended up being the main cause of the 2008 financial crisis. And so it's not just the, the the regulators uh, don't really understand and aren't going to do a good job. It's that they're going to actually encourage more risk the same way that they did in the banking system. And so I, I think this is probably a very bad outcome. Right now, we've had the SEC and Gary Gensler, that is SEC chair, trying to regulate crypto more, talking about more regulations, and sort of sneakily trying to uh, enforce regulations without writing any rules. They haven't written any rules to say that crypto um, tokens are securities, but they're pressuring the courts to rule on it anyway and to mm -hmm. rule that some of these tokens are securities without the industry being able to defend themselves, without putting forth any notice and comment through the regular rulemaking process. Typically, when they make a new regulation, they have to put it out for public comment, and they have to take that feedback and use it to shape their regulation. They're not doing that. They're instead just uh, taking companies directly to court and trying to get a uh, judge to rule that the court has done something wrong without the SEC actually declaring that it's illegal. And so the behavior right now of the authorities that are creating these regulations um, has just been terrible. There's there's no clarity. There's no effort to make an actual fair rule. Um, and so I'm, I'm really afraid of what's going to happen here. We have this great growing industry that's now a multi-trillion dollar industry that is creating a lot of benefits for all the people that, that uh, are using it. And basically, I think the government is just going to come in and stamp it out because, um, you know, they're, they're – uh, against what's happening. They, they don't want people to have that kind of freedom. And they, you know, they know they can get votes by scaring people and saying what a disaster this is. Yeah, well, the whole thing sounds, you know, misguided and, and even dishonest, like to take something like this, this case where it's a case of fraud, uh, it's a case of criminal activity. Um, and it's a case of an exchange that basically mainly all of these fraudulent activities were happening in the Bahamas and not subject to regulatory measures from the U.S. And they're using that as the example to call for more regulation. Like, it just sounds dishonest to me. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it, so it, it's really terrible the way that they've done traditional financial regulation. And, and it's hard for me to tell whether 
I mean, I, I want to attribute these to just honest mistakes, but it's really shocking to me that the regulators are able to repeatedly, serially misrepresent their regulations, misrepresent the research. They, uh, in, in the paper that I wrote on this, when I was reading through all their uh, all their regulations and the text of them, they were repeatedly misrepresenting the research to say, "Oh, this is a paper that says what we're doing is good," when in fact that paper said nothing like that. And and I was just shocked that people don't call them out on this all the time. Um, but the truth is, there's just a very small number of people that are actually watching this, that have the expertise to go in and identify the sort of errors and misrepresentation that these regulators are making. And so um, so that, that message just doesn't get out to the public very much. You know, most people would have no idea. I'm sure that they look on the SEC as someone that's protecting their interests. And the Federal Reserve, when they regulate banks, is someone that is, you know, preventing the banks from taking too much risk. Most people have no idea that they're actually pushing the banks to take more risk. They have no idea that those regulations are really misrepresenting and, and misstating what the research says. And I don't want to say lying because lying you know, implies intent, but at very least like mistaken and repeatedly misrepresenting the research. And I, I think it's terrible. I, I wish we could call them out more. I wish we could get more um, sort of honest, honesty and openness and transparency from those financial regulators. Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it, Thomas. And um, I think we're going to be running out of time soon. So I want to ask you one last thing here. Um, do you think that all of this will also create a bigger push for CBDCs? So central bank digital currencies that they'll say this is safe, this is secure, come with us, we'll give you the safe crypto. That is certainly what some politicians and regulators are saying already, is that if the government were running a cryptocurrency, then we could create all of the benefits without any of the costs. Um, and so, you know, of course, that seems silly, like, really, no costs? Um, but that's how they try to frame it. And and, and I'll say it's, it's a little bit hard to tell right now um, what the intentions will be with this, because there's certainly from one side political pressure uh, from the Biden administration, from other Democrats in Congress to have the Federal Reserve offer a central bank digital currency. The Fed itself, the Fed officials have been kind of half-hearted on this. So some of them have said, we, you know, we, we think we should do it. And others have said, we need to be really careful here. We don't want to get into an area uh, that is really not our job. They've said, look, we're not even clear legally if the Federal Reserve could do this. It would mean offering um, a service directly to the public. And that's not something it's clear that we have the ability to do. They could offer a central bank digital currency to the banking system and then have the banks add it to uh, give it to the public. But that's basically what they're doing already is that they already interact with the banking system. And so, you know, it's not clear what the real advantage would be to that. Um, and so the people that are in favor of a CDC, a CBDC, most of them want don't want the interaction with the banking system. They want it offered directly to the public. They want something like China's doing where they try to push uh, Americans to only use central bank digital currency, to not use cash, to eliminate the banking system and have the Federal Reserve be managing money directly to the people. And they see that as something you know that would be uh, a benefit per people. 
Um, but of course, that would mean the government tracking every single transaction, tracking everything that people are doing. For people that are in favor of big gov government, they want that, right? But for, for most people, most people do not want that, right? They don't want the government tracking everything that they're doing. They don't want all of their, gov all of their information being shared within the government. Um, because we've seen in the past, the government abuse that kind of authority, abuse that kind of information. Certainly in the case of, you know, China and other countries that are trying this, that's part of the government's intent, is to track people and punish people that are doing things that the government doesn't like. And I think that's probably what some of the politicians in the United States want to. They want to track every single individual. They want to be able to punish people for doing things that they don't think those people should be doing that are politically unpopular. Um, and, and for most Americans, I think that is just terrifying, and it should be. Yeah, yeah, it, it does sound very terrifying. And uh, I'm, I am glad, though, that it's not a full consensus at the Fed. And that's, uh, that was actually my view on it, too. So um, we're actually going to be talking about the Fed soon in our next podcast. Uh, there's a paper you've written on DEI, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. So uh, I encourage all of our viewers to go read that. You're also writing something right now um, on this whole FTX fiasco. So I encourage people to read that as well at onair.org. Um, and if you have any last thoughts uh, as we wrap up today, Thomas... Yeah, I mean, all this this whole situation is uh, developing very quickly around FTX. But again, I think it's it's just another it's an illustration of all the things that we've seen repeatedly of regulators doing things that they shouldn't be doing, causing the financial system to take too much risk, and then private entrepreneurs trying to provide a solution to that. In this case, through cryptocurrency and being prevented from doing so again by the government. And so these things are sort of a microcosm that we're seeing repeatedly over over and over. And the financial system and other industries. And so I, I hope people will um, be skeptical of regulators, not just assume that regulation is always good, not just assume that regulation is going to limit uh, risk in the banking or crypto industries, but be skeptical and rely instead upon uh, financial innovators and re rely upon themselves um, to protect themselves and uh, not be taken advantage of by companies or by the government. Very well said, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on today and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. Bye. Uh...